This is Amateur Logic, episode 182, for June 16th, 2023. Amateur Logic is brought to you by ICOM. Keep your competitive contesting edge and be a field day leader with ICOM. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Amateur Logic. I'm George. I'm Tommy. I'm Rio. I'm Mike. Slacker and of the month. Whoops. Wrong way. way. And it's great to be back for another episode tonight. We're all excited and in a tizzy about field day. There it is. That's right. Every time you hear that sound, that's worth five points. That's that's the field day alert. Okay, <laughs> so um, yeah, don't don't say the F word. <laughs> wow! Oh, what's been going on, Tommy? Uh, I've been getting ready for field day. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm getting uh, got a new piece of gear. Checking out, and getting set up, and. Uh, I'm ready to go, man. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I've been getting ready myself or to take a lot of antennas and stuff <laughs> and other gear that I usually pack up every time. Uh, about about this time of the year, uh, I take it out in the field for, the for, for two days. Actually, it's both, isn't it? Yeah. Does that qualify? No. Mm-hmm. Uh, separate. He's trying to okay. cheat the system, Emil. <laughs> yes, he, he did that skillfully. Yeah. Emil, what's been going on down there? <laughs> well, in between the thunderstorms and lightning strikes, we're uh, also getting ready for a certain day and uh, just staying or trying to stay cool. I think that's going to be a, a big part of our day this yeah. year is to... Uh, <laughs> Try to remain hydrated and cool, man. Yeah. If you're outside, that's going to be a task. We need to send him that PDF uh, Wayne did on the uh, Visqueen air-conditioned tent. There you go. Yeah. We should put that in the show notes for people to download. Yeah. We, I think we've got video. Mike, what's been happening up there? Actually, uh Yes, everyone else is blaming Canada for the wildfires and the smoke. But there's something really odd I've noticed. Um, The skies have been kind of overcast as a result of the smoke in the sky, but it's dropped the temperature. So daily highs have only been like high 60s to mid 70s. Perfect weather, and it's, it's been cooling down at night. I could deal with a whole summer worth of this weather 
Yeah. Uh, it could do without the smoke, though, but uh, I, I, I assume that that's responsible for that. Okay. Blocking, oh. blocking out the sun. I went to Indiana this week for work, Monday through Wednesday, and it was cool up there. I didn't take, think, even think to take a jacket. But uh, when I got there, it was like in the upper 50s. Yeah. It was pretty wow. chilly. So, Mike, you think that weather is going to help you next weekend for an event that you might participate in? <laughs> I have in? no idea. Um, <laughs> I, I've been the field day. Go ahead, Emil. <laughs> that was for you, Emil. <laughs> Where I've, I've needed a jacket. Um, and... I've also been to FD, uh, where air conditioning would have been appreciated. So, I've never had a field day when I had to have a jacket, ever. No. Mm-mm. Not even winter field day. Well, you could use them to beat them. As- you missed, you missed one. Tommy's. Yeah, no, you missed I, Tommy's. I was going to wait. Yeah, you sure did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the slacker of the month, not you. <laughs> well... It's um, I'm looking forward to a good event. We are going to have air conditioning. We're doing it, well, from a different location this time around. It should be a little easier once we get the antennas set up. Of course, that's always the hard part. That is a hard part. Uh, but, boy, here we've had bad weather all week. You've been gone, so you've missed it all. But no, uh, Well, I've missed some of it, but I had bad weather before I left and when I got home. Well, we had some in between there, too. Oh, y'all are lucky. Yep. At least we won't be having it next weekend. (laughs) (laughs) The chat room's in trouble. They're taking it as a drinking contest. Yeah. Every time they take a drink when they hear... (laughs) Every time they hear Phil Day. They're not going to make it. Like that episode of WKRP... Where, where the uh, state state trooper is doing the, the the test, and every every time he had Johnny Fever had to take a drink, and his reaction time got faster as things went on. So anyway, you had to see it. Yeah. Well, we've had uh, numerous power failures across the state here for the last few days, and wow, uh, I got three transmitter sites right now that are operating on uh, emergency generators. Uh, because they're that backed up on getting the lines repaired. Uh, Our buddy Jeff, W5PPB, sent me a photo earlier today. He was going out to one transmitter site that I've got uh, a transmitter at as well. There was a tree in the road. He sent me a picture of the tree. But he also sent me a picture of the uh, about 10 light poles laid over in the road in a row. Really? On the way out there, From yeah. this morning? From this morning. Wow. Yeah. It got pretty bad uh, last Saturday. There are trees all down in my town. I mean, I mean, huge trees. Yeah. Have you been up there? No. Like, I mean, they're just, they're enormous. They've been there for 100 years or more. Yeah. And they're just laying over on the side. I, I had to go out Sunday, miss church, and went and uh, cut neighbor's limbs and stuff up and stack stacked it up i was glad to go out of town your, so get your neighbor's rest. limbs or the tree yeah <laughs> <laughs> depends on which one you're talking yeah. about <laughs> which neighbor so, i no. felt it necessary to qualify that <laughs> that's yeah, a good I point i should have clarified so 
We always have an email or a post or a news item or a topic to talk about each month. Google decided to sunset their domain business and uh, I guess sold it off to Squarespace. So that means anybody that has a domain that is hosted by Google, uh, they're being sold to Squarespace. And that uh, basically amounts to about 10 million domains. Um, Wow. Email, what is the title of your segment this month? (laughs) Oh, no, you don't. (laughs) Oh, no, you don't, George. (laughs) So uh, I have... You know, we take a certain day, Glenn and I, especially Glenn and I. <laughs> uh, you're trying to day, avoid it yourself now. <laughs> <laughs> very seriously, uh, whether it's winter or summer. So here we go with ARRL's special day coming up. And uh, I decided, since we've been doing this for quite some time, to put together a lot of the uh, tricks, the cheap tricks that I uh, have say acquired over the the years to make things work on our uh, antenna side and figured I'd share that with you guys. Hello, George, Tommy, Mike, and Amateur Logic TV viewers. I got some tips for field day on the antenna side that'll surely save you some time in setup and function. One is this MFJ 1919EX, the time saver being right right there. Those quick clips are certain to uh, get you uh, up in the air, especially on the VHF, UHF side, which is what I use it for, with this snazzy antenna here, um, which is actually just on a piece of PVC with that little hose clamp there. Always good to have that in the air. The uh, other is my Wolf River coil that I picked up from uh, a couple of years ago at Hamvention. I decided this year to give me a ground rod and mount it on the top of this ground rod here for use or quick setup. And finally, a set of radials. I actually have eight radials. This is just one set of them in which I can clip on easily to the ground portion of this tenna system and get them out there in on the ground in the field. So let's take a look at them. So the first one I'll start with here is the tripod from MFJ. I think it's their 1919EX. And we'll get that set up. Got the tripod expanded there. And what we're going to do is use some of the clip clips or clip things here. And we're basically going to sacrifice this first piece right here and use it for holding the PVC in that antenna. In this case, as you can see here, I have the antenna set up on this little piece of PVC, which I match to the length of this section. And I'll go ahead and put it over while it's still down. And literally, it's going to sit right on top of that. 
piece and then I'll extend it. And we'll go ahead and take the second piece up, undo the flap. And it is worth noting that we have drawn some lines on the antenna, or I'm sorry, the, the fiberglass mask. That tells us basically not to extend it too far outside of this. And these quick clamps are so easy and do a great job. I've only had to adjust them once maybe since I got this. They just, they hold their uh, position and they do a really fine job of doing that. So we do that rest, we do that to the rest of them. And the end result is the antenna probably at around 20 25 feet and very sturdy I've never had to guy that one in all the field days that I've had and it's been pretty windy winter field day and regular field day I've uh, always used that and it just works so quick clamps are worth it to me here I'm gonna go ahead and start this into the ground using my uh, ultimate tool and I usually drive it around two good two feet maybe or a foot and a half into the ground just so it's halfway decent holding itself or stable it'll support that uh, Wolf River coil which is very light into the ground And we'll go ahead and screw the coil into the mount, which is a standard mirror type mount, by the way, for CB antennas usually, if I'm not mistaken, with the stud mount. Got it on there. And we'll put the steel whip in. pretty sure this is the uh, infamous one that I uh, got at Hamvention and almost speared a couple of people on the bus going to my uh, truck with but uh, I made it and if you look at the whole thing there it's not quite far enough into the ground I'll, I'll remedy that but there's the, the antenna and the coil of course you know you adjust but the real reason for me showing you the video is this so at the local auto parts store I went ahead and picked up uh, alligator clips you find in a battery section and soldered some of the radials into this clip here so that when it comes time to setting up the radials I could simply clip them to the ground side and then spread them out as I need I have I have several uh, different lengths and about eight total and that I'll spread out into a uh, star pattern basically and for the wires and the trees I always use my this is the original one that I built way back when when I first started with the amateur logic TV guys and uh, it's still going strong that that pump 
uh, the valve there has never stopped working and it still takes around 60 to 70 psi and literally puts that up there in the uh, trees without any problems you can see here actually at my QTH this is one of them if we follow this ladder line we'll find it going all the way up into the trees see one of the radio I mean one of the wires there going in <clears throat> into the center conductor up here and they take off in basically an inverted L and some trees in the front yard and all the way over to the other side of the shack that is a good 70 feet up there, which always does good uh, on HF. Basically, that's held up there by some Dacron rope that goes up through the trees and keeps it up there. Uh, can barely see it, which is an awesome thing, but uh, that's been out here for years. So it holds up. That Dacro and even the smaller type of rope is really worth using and getting because it just lasts. And here in Louisiana, unless you're uh, fishing in the trees with your antennas with something other than the Cajun line, the fishing line, you're just not going to catch any uh, QSO fish. So definitely, uh, if you want to get that QSL, definitely get the QSO fish, Cajun line. And finally, I use MFJ's 300 watt uh, wire tuner here, which has all the right stuffs as far as whether you're just using a wire, grounding it out there, or feeding it with coax and power, which you can also feed from the, uh, you can actually feed it from the radio or the Bias T. That one, uh, is in my go kit which I'll show you and for those who might not have seen but uh, heard of the go box here uh, inside of this box is the bias T that I mounted next to the uh, epic power gate here that switches power but it also feeds 12 volts through the coax to that tuner uh, you can turn it on and off there you see the switch uh, to the right of that box but you can turn that on or off depending on what kind of an antenna arrangement you're using and whether or not it's sending 12 volts down the wire or not. And the auto tuner on the other end of course scripts it out and uh, uses it so that you can uh, auto tune the antenna. Talk about saving some time versus something like a um, like the, the coil. So if you have a wire non-resonant wire that's not there you know so there's my jacks that are coming out VHF in HF VHF UHF on the left there and HF on the right and so depending on the antenna configuration you'll have you'll be able to uh, make it work
One of the things I also learned over the years is to always have one of these tri-magnetic mag mounts and I stick it in the bed of my truck just in case I want to do something on a band that none of my wires or coil is quite working right. I always break out the ham stick and uh, couple it with this in the bed of the truck which makes a pretty good ground plane. In fact, every time we're coming home from uh, Huntsville, I always use this as a setup. So it worked. Another item worth mentioning here is this uh, coax carrier. Uh, when you get it all wrapped up, here I got a hundred feet of some coax wrapped up, but when you need to carry that around out to field day and get it to where you need to go, that's a pretty good little uh, tool there. I think I got them from one of the hardware stores around here, so that's a good one. And of course, if you just can't get it to work, there is the final option here. Hi, hi, just kidding. That is to beat that into the ground, of course. So, but uh, it's always at the uh, top of my mind just in case things don't quite work out. And another thing I found that saves me some time is carrying all those antennas and pieces, parts in this bag that you usually get with the masks, like a tent, the mess tent type mask that you see at Hamfest. Used to sell them all the time. So, very sturdy, very sturdy bag, and it helps me carry all that stuff in one bag. It's got a little shoulder strap too, and you gotta watch out because it'll it'll dig into you on that one. But hey, it does the job. And of course, safety first. Gotta have yourself a good pair of uh, working gloves and protection from delusions of grandeur that'll prevent some thoughts of uh, higher cost items and options entering your uh, cranium uh, and I also recommend the optional cranium cooler for the cap from uh, VE3MIC but uh, like I said this will prevent any of those crazy thoughts from entering your, uh, your, your brain so safety first Well, I thought that was dog treats you had brought there. <laughs> the dog, the dog was present, so it, it might have been. Yeah. I keep I keep my persuader handy too. I use mine nice. for computer work, though. There you go, Mike. When when all else fails, that's yeah. right. I don't know when really, George, to use all of those things, though. I know there's something coming up, but I just you know I had to share all these cheap tricks that I have for something that might be coming up. You know, that is actually, actually, that was a lot of good tips to take out in the field with you. On a certain day. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's, that's <laughs> what I was thinking. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah, that was pretty good stuff. I like the, uh, using the ground rod idea. I thought about that. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty easy to go in and um, the end of it's tapered there. I think I got that one from Home Depot. <laughs> Cut but, it in half because it's normally a eight, uh, ten foot. Yeah. That was my next question. How long was that? Was that just a four foot? Yeah, that was four because I cut uh -huh. the eight and a half 
yeah. from the one and I used the other half for something else. Okay, we were thinking that there was four foot still in the ground from last year. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I just picked that one up. Well, we got some four footers in the ground up around where George is from up there, so yeah. it can happen. Yep. <laughs> We're going to be back in just a moment because we're all getting ready for Phil Day. There it is. Oh, it is. Every time I hear that sound, I tell you, it makes me want to go to Taco Bell. Yeah, I want to pet my chihuahua. (laughs) (laughs) David Telling? Yes. And he wrote to us on the Facebook uh, group forum that after being licensed for more than 50 years... And most of that, not very active. He finally got his hundred political entities, or countries, as we call them. Um, He says he doesn't need the certificate to prove it, but it is kind of a nice accomplishment. And probably, you know, if if he was more proficient in CW, he mentioned, uh, he he would have probably gotten way more than that confirmed. But... I can relate to him because me and another ham, and that that was David, by the way, uh, KJ7WT, and me and another ham recently got um, our 100 or the DXCC 100 countries, political entities, uh, (laughs) awards recently. At the same time, that was kind of weird. His certificate was number 291 and mine was 292. When I posted mine, he posted his. Wow. So we so we could compare, and uh, that was um, uh, K2ZAD. Uh, Michael and I'm not even going to say it. Zadaroni. Z- yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Michael. Uh, <laughs> Mikhail. Uh, I'm messing that up. But uh, he he did also post, and I can I can relate, David, because we had um, I had only been operating casually for you know quite some time and it was never really a goal to chase that piece of paper it's just something that happened when i used logbook of the world and i realized oh wait i qualify for this mixed award which is kind of the first step into it so i can see where people in the hobby eventually get there they get that first step and then you get sucked in right to their uh, the paper chasing parts uh george <laughs> i know i've heard you mention that before so, but anyway, it's cool stuff when you uh, you see what you've been doing all that time, what it adds up to. Well, I have no awards, like <laughs> operating awards. I have some awards, but not not for the number of contacts made or anything like that. Uh, as Mike would say, congratulations to your computer. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you should say that let me <laughs> let me let me show you something because i knew somehow i just knew this was going to come up i did an analysis of these contacts and about 57 of them out of my hundred were data and 38 were phone and then five were actually cw and i, I was thinking wait i haven't done cw in a very long time this was when i was a technician with my ICOM 746 Pro, just starting to learn um, how to do the uh, the programs like FL Digi, mm-hmm. CW Skimmer, you know, uh-huh. like I was typing, basically. Oh, yeah. you're uh-huh. using a CW keyboard. So I cheated on those for sure, but I just wanted to make sure Mike knew it wasn't all FT8 and digital. And the digital modes were even separated out into RTTY, FT8, 
PSKs. You remember those days, the PSK 31s and 63s mm-hmm. and all of that. So there you go, Mike. So how many of those modes are you going to work on field day? <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Oh, he, he caught probably, that right quick. probably FT8 for sure. Some Vara, Winlink, no doubt. Yeah, I remember a few years ago that FT8 as a as a as a mode for FD was was a hotly contested uh, argument for you know many many thought that it shouldn't be permitted um, in in FD, but. Um, yeah. And now they're counting it as two points, like CW. Yeah, I one for the computer and one for you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I don't know. I have never even operated FT8. Really? I was thinking maybe I'll uh, I'll do some PSK31 this year, but I might be talking to myself if I did that these days. Well, at least with PSK thirty one, uh, uh, much like FT eight, if if the bands aren't really all that great, um, you should do okay with those modes. Yeah. Well, I may have to try see if my computer is set up. I've got a. I don't think no, I didn't have this computer last year, so I got to set up everything again. Oh, your new laptop? Yeah. <clears throat> I set up the uh, logger and everything. What what did we use for logging? In one Mickey and Mouse. Them. Yeah. In one and them. Yeah. I've still got it on there. Well, we're going to be back in just a moment. Keep your competitive contesting edge and be a field day leader with ICOM. Field day is amateur radio's most popular event and is just around the corner. On June 24th and 25th, more than 40,000 North American hams will come together to operate remotely. ICOM's robust and high-quality transceivers easily cut through polyps so you can work the bands and make those contacts. ICOM is a clear choice for DXers and contesters around the globe. Explore the world of microwave with ICOM's new SHF Portable, the IC905. This all-mode rig covers 2 meters, 70 centimeters, 1.2 gigahertz, 2.4 gigahertz, 5.6 gigahertz, and with an optional CXG10 transverter, 10 gigahertz. This transceiver also has a few industry first up its belt. It's the first to support the five major global bands from VHF to SHF. The first power over Ethernet powered RF module designed to be at the base of the antenna to eliminate signal loss and the first to be compatible with amateur TV in analog FM mode. Other features include large 4.3 inch color touchscreen, real-time high-speed spectrum scope and waterfall display, easy digital mode settings, supplied high-performance GPS antenna, full D-Star functions for DV and DD mode, and an SD card slot. Aim higher and enter the world of SHF. The ICOM IC7300 is a high-performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design that will far exceed your expectations. This innovative HF transceiver digitizes RF before various receiver stages, reducing the generated inherent noise in different IF stages. This is the radio that changed the way entry-level HF has designed. RF direct sampling. 15 discrete bandpass filters, large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and SD memory card slot. The real HF fun starts here. Create your own band opening with the IC9700. 
This radio brings direct sampling to the UHF-VHF weak signal world. The IC9700 is an all-mode transceiver loaded with innovative features that are sure to keep you busy. Expect top performance on field day with ICOM's IC9700. The IC7610 is the SDR every ham wants. This high-performance SDR can pick out faint signals in the presence of stronger adjacent signals. The ICOM 7610 is a direct sampling software-defined radio that's changed the world's definition of an SDR transceiver. RF direct sampling, 110 dB RMDR independent dual receiver, and dual digi-cell. For more information about all the great ICOM radios, visit icomamerica.com amateur. I noticed something in that ad. I don't know if... Did you do something with that campfire? It's it's animated, and that's the first time I noticed that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did that, uh, I think... I think I did that animation last year. I don't know how many antennas we're going to take this year. Last year, and for the last... Well, for a number of field days, I've taken out a mystery antenna. And... You know, that's that's a combination of coax and ladder line and wire and all of this stuff stretched out in some kind of configuration that really doesn't uh, calculate in my head right off. Some uh, A friend of mine made it for me. And it worked good a few years, but the last time we used it, I, it wasn't resonant anywhere. It, matter of fact, it was far from resonant. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking this year, I want to have something a little better to work to the uh, the really low bands, like uh, maybe 40 and 80. And I thought, well, might as well build an off-center fed dipole. You know, I've done a lot of those over the years. I've got one for 40 meters right now in the backyard. So I figured I'd build an 80-meter one. And this is it right here. Of course, insulators... On either end of it, the wires half wavelength at 80 meters. I didn't mean to hit you in the head, there, Mel. <laughs> and uh, it's cut two thirds on one side and one third on the other side. And I have a four to one ballon in the middle. This is a ballon that I made several years ago and did some videos on. Uh, it's a this is a really nice ballon here. This is a not an El Cheapo. It, it's using all the, the tricks in there that someone else gathered for me and sent me the material. So uh, yeah. that's the best kind right I there. Mean. So I have, really, the only money I got in the ballon is the box and the eye hooks that I've got on here. A couple of pieces of hardware, but all the, the real guts... Uh, were donated to me to do the video with. And the wire, this is the part I wanted to mention. Emil, I don't, I mean, this could this could come back on me. But this is a number 18-gauge lamp cord I bought at Lowe's. Yeah, it looks like it ought to be plugged into the wall. Yeah, I bought 100 feet of it for 7 bucks. Nice. And then I split it. That is so com- got com- compliant right there. 200 feet. The only thing is, I don't know if it's going to be able to hold up this heavy legal limit ballon here. I don't... I, did, I didn't know Apple made hooks. 
What? No, they don't. You said there was eye hooks? No, no. These were made before there was an apple. That that term was coined then. It's not oh, an okay. eye it's not, like an apple hook. Okay, it's not an eye hook. No, no. No, it's not that. Okay, that went right over. Yeah, it went over everybody's head. Of course, we were talking about Phil Day. So, this is a four to one. I, I thought I would talk about that some tonight and uh, resurrect an old video, update it a little bit. The video was in two parts. So first I built a one-to-one ballon that I have been using on my 80-meter loop in the backyard here now for almost 10 years. And it's around eight years. And it has been, it's as good now as it was the day I put it up. So uh, the video we're going to look at tonight is when I built the one-to-one ballon and what you need. Uh, some tips on how to put it together correctly and and get a really good uh, high-power ballon. This is going to be a one-to-one ballon, and I'll use it to connect my 50-ohm antenna to my 50-ohm transmission line. Let's take a look at the materials that we'll need. We're going to need some tape that's heat-resistant, and this glass cloth tape is a good choice. This stuff is kind of like fiber. It's very sticky. You can get this to wrap your toroids and wires with from Amadon Corporation. Or you could use something like this Kapton tape here. You can find that on eBay. It's uh, 10 millimeters wide and 33 millimeters long. You could also use something like this Plumber's Teflon tape. Uh, This stuff is available at your hardware store. It's not very expensive. It'll work good for wrapping the ballon with. I'm not so sure about wrapping the wires and holding them together, though. Of course, we're going to need some kind of wire to use as the transmission line that wraps around the ballon. We're going to use 14-gauge, 200-degree Celsius magnet wire. And you can find this stuff on eBay from a supplier like Timco. We're going to need a toroid, and we're going to use a ferrite uh, 31-mix, 2.4-inch toroid, part number 2631803802. And you can find these from commercial suppliers like uh, Krieger, Mauser, or Newark. Now, this one has been partially taped. We're going to continue taping it because it's got to be completely covered. This is conductive, and we don't want it shorting out with the wires. We're also going to need some way to house the ballon, and I'm going to use this weatherproof electrical box that I picked up at my local Lowe's. This is a Carlin brand. It's not very expensive. It's really a little bigger than we need to hold this size of ballon, but, you know, I looked around at the price of uh, buying PVC pipe and end caps and all, and since I'm only building a single one here, this was the most economical solution. Plus, it's easy to open up later if I need to get in and do some repair work, and it's waterproof. We'll need a little more hardware to go with the box, so I bought these eye hooks from Lowe's as well. They're stainless steel, and... That's what we need for a project like this. We don't want to put something out there that's going to rust and not stand up in the weather. I'm also going to use some 1024 one-inch long bolts. These will be used to feed through so that we can connect the wires of our antenna to. And I bought some wing nuts to put on there, so it'll make it kind of easy to attach our wires from the antenna. We'll need a way to attach our coax to the ballon, so for that we're going to use an SO239. 
This will just mount here to the outside of the cabinet. We'll need to seal around it to keep moisture out. And we'll need some screws for that, so I've got some number 632 half-inch stainless steel screws once again here because we don't want this rusting. And naturally, I've got the lock washers and nuts to go with that. I want to thank Joe Zaleski, KC8LC, for doing the research and getting all the materials together that we're going to be using here. One thing that he wrote out here I was not aware of is there's a chart. Apparently, balloons are more frequency sensitive than I had suspected. If we're going to do a 1.8 to 5 megahertz, we'll want 16 turns of bifiller windings on the number 31 core. For 3.5 to 10 megahertz, we'll want 14 bifiller turns. That's what I'm going to use. Or for 10 to 30 megahertz, we'll want 12 bifiller turns. And you calculate this by taking roughly the number of turns that you're going to need, uh, multiplying that by uh, 2.7 inches, plus about 4 inches for the end connection. So you should have about 37 inches for 14 turns. And that's what we've got here. I've measured it out. Joe had started actually wrapping these to prepare them. We've still got to do some on the end here. But really, before you get into putting the tape on here to wrap these together, what you should do is scrape back about one inch of the insulation on all four ends of the wires here and tend them. So that's what we'll do now. In order to make this go as quick as it can so that I won't overheat the wire, I'll put a little flux here on it. You'll notice I'm applying the solder to the wire and not directly to the tip of the iron. It's time to move on and prepare the toroid. It's a good idea to write the mix on the toroid in case you ever have to replace it and you want to know what it was. This is the number 31, of course. And Joe had already partially wrapped this one with tape. We're going to finish off the job, though. Now, it looks to me like Joe cut this tape into strips that were half as wide and that'll probably make it a little easier when we go to wrap it around the toroid. So I think I'm going to do that too. We want our two wires to be perfectly parallel with each other. No twist in them. And every inch and a half, we're going to wrap it with a little piece of the glass tape. I've cut this into quarter inch strips now. And now I'm going to mark the ends of one of the wires. And that'll be the one that goes to the center pin of the coax connector. We want to keep these wires as straight and flat as possible. We're going to wind them around the toroid here. And we'll leave it about an inch and a half exposed out the side. We'll need 14 turns like this. Each time you go through the core, should be one turn. And we don't want to twist the wires as we wrap it. We want to keep them flat and closely spaced. Our end game is to keep the ends of the wire as far apart as possible. And this stuff is a little stiff, so it's going to take a little patience. I'm going to tie wrap this end here, and then I'll continue on with the rest of it. There we go. 14 turns as tight as I can get them. Evenly spaced, and we're relatively as far apart as we can get on the two ends there. Our next step will be to prepare the box. Marked all my holes and we're ready to drill. We'll put the eye hook in the top. We'll put the SO239 in the bottom. 
And on each side, we're going to put a screw terminal to connect our antenna. First, I'll drill my pilot holes, and then we'll work up to the actual size. Like that size right there, that means that it's kind of tight, so I'll actually have some threads here in the plastic. That's a good tight fit there, so we won't have to worry too much about water leaking around it. Plus, since I've only got one nut that actually fits this eye hook, this will just give me some extra tension to keep it from unscrewing. For the 1024 bolts, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to go a little bit tight with it. Well, here it is all assembled. I didn't have time to show the complete assembly here. Just this time around, we showed you mostly winding the toroid here. And we'll be covering more of this in the future because I'm going to build a 4 to 1 ballad. But for this particular one, I ended up with the SO239 mounted from the bottom. I decided that once I had screwed a PL259 connector on here, there just wasn't enough room left for me to wrap it good with insulating tape. So I put it on the outside rather than mount it from the inside. I would have rather had it on the inside, but it just didn't look like it was going to work out. I've got uh, some washers here. I've made that super tight. And hopefully that will hold it. If it gets hot or that plastic melts, then we're going to have a bad connection there. That's why I really want the connector mounted with the flange on the inside. Of course, I've got the other side soldered here to the center pin. Up here on the antenna end, you can see I've put the screws through from the inside. I've got a lock washer under there. And the crimp lug is up under that. I got that super tight as well. And a nut here on the outside that's super tight to hold that together. And then another lock washer. And I got wing nuts out on the end. As long as these crimp terminals here stay tight, we're in good shape. Let's do some testing now with the MFJ259C antenna analyzer. I've got an old terminator here from an old coax network connection. It's 50 ohms. I've got it stuck in a T and just a, a wire kind of run around the outside here and crammed up in there. So I've got the 50 ohm terminator just as close as I can to the ballot itself. Here we're looking at around 2 megahertz. And we can see it's showing uh, 51, 52 ohms, a reactance of zero, a SWR of 1.0. We increase the frequency here. We see it staying pretty steady, 52 ohms. But the reactance and the SWR are not changing. Let's go on up to the next range here. I'm going to be using this on my 80-meter loop, so that's primarily where I'm interested. So 4.6 megahertz, 53 ohms, reactance of zero. As we increase it, it comes up a, another ohm or so there. We can go up all the way to 10 megahertz, which is what this ballon was rated for, and we just start seeing some reactants in. 54 ohms, so it's fairly flat across those bands. Uh, Mike could do a little better with some touch-up on it. I'm really not sure as to what's typical for a ballon like this, but... I think this one's going to do fine, so I'll put the cover on it, and I'm going to put it on my loop as soon as I get a chance. So there you go, a heavy-duty, legal-limit, one-to-one ballon. Yeah, it's a nice project. Just uh, not too hard. Doesn't look like it's a difficult project for just about mm -hmm. anybody to do. I need a ballon. I may end up making one of those four-to-ones myself. All right, now that was a one-to-one. -one. Right. So... 
I do have a Ford one, which we just saw. We didn't look inside of it. Yeah, let me How just... long did it take you, uh, your fingers to recover? Because I did a four-to-one balance, and by the time I got all those 14 turns around that toroid with the 14-gauge, uh, uh, even though it was copper, mm-hmm. I had sore hands for a couple of days after that, I think. Well, we, I don't remember how long it took, but uh, I have a video on the 4-to-1 we'll look at in the future. Uh, let me say it is not four times as hard to do as a 1-to-1, <laughs> but it is more difficult, and the one I I built has two toroids in it. Right. Oh. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's a little more involved than the 1-to-1, but I've been real happy with the 1-to-1. I mean, it's... It really helped out because before, you know, uh, uh, a loop is, well, it's it's 50 on my antenna, so you really don't have to have a balance on it. But you get radiation back down your shield on the coax, and it comes into the shack and can do nasty things. And putting that one-to-one balance on there really cleaned that up. So, um, yeah. Nice. We're going to be back in just a moment because we've still got more to go. And Tommy's got a new little device here. Emil, he says that it was cheap, comparatively speaking. We'll see. So you want to be paying attention to this. But I think it's something that he will be using next week on the air. At the end of each month, it's Amateur Logic's Ham College, the new show for those new to the hobby and those wanting to get into amateur radio. Which of the following is a purpose of the amateur radio service as stated in the FCC rules and regulations? That inductor and capacitor form a tuned circuit. That's how you tune the radio to the frequency that you want. The English language. We lived in town. I liked it. I, I listened to mine a lot. It was really cool because you didn't have to have a battery to power yeah. There's our homemade telegraph station. We can use it for long-distance communications. Oh, like, uh, what, three feet yeah, here? across the table. The answer is B. Voltage was named after Italian physicist Alessandro Volta. We can see we're generating a little bit of electricity there. It's DC. It's always great to go back and get a refresher. It sure is. A lot of that stuff, if you've been a ham for a while like we have, you you don't really think about a lot of that stuff that often. They didn't have electric screwdrivers in those days, so that's why we're not using one. That's why we went primitive with it. So let's see if we can hear anything when we we fire off our spark gap transmitter. Oh, yeah. Well, we didn't build anything or blow up anything today, but... Uh, the night's still young. I got an email from my friends at the ARRL. It says, Dear Thomas, N5ZNO. That's what my friends call me. Well, some of us call you Dean Martin. Some of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the, your license will be expiring on 9-27-2023. This special license uh, expiration notification is one of the many benefits available to only... To current ARRL members, and goes on how to renew it, and that's that's all great and good. I didn't realize it was expiring, so I'm thankful for the sending me that. But two days later, I got this other one, dear Thomas N5ZNO. They still call me that. Um, <laughs> Some people. Please be advised that the FCC Universal License System is currently down. 
So that's actually where I'm kind of leading up with all this. I could read this whole email, but it's not necessary. But I went to the website, and sure enough, it's still down for system maintenance. Uh, no estimated time of it coming back up. So if you need to renew or file something, you're going to have to hold off a little bit. I did see a notice that said that they were extending uh, the grace period for expired licenses while it's down. So if yours expired. We'll go ahead and look at his segment right now. Okay. Well, field day's almost here. I've got a new auxiliary power unit here that I'm going to try testing out on field day. That's not why I bought it. I've still got my 50 amp life probe that I made a couple years ago, used last year at field day. I plan on taking it, but I'm going to give this uh, a, a run too. This is a Blue Eddy EB3A. It's uh, 268 watt hours. It's not the biggest one they, they make, but it was really economical. Uh, some might say it's cheap old man compliant. I think I gave $209 for this, which isn't bad. It's got, again, it's uh, 268 watt hours. It's got uh, two coaxial power jacks that are up to 10 amps each. It's got uh, two USB-A, which are, I believe, 3 amps each, 5 volts. And it's got a 100 watt USB-C power delivery jack that is actually the reason I bought it. I've got a, a Mavic 3 Classic that I use and I've got three batteries. Well, I was actually doing a drone job for somebody and ran out of batteries. So I, I bought this to be able to charge my batteries in the field uh, quickly. So 100 watts will charge my battery up in, in no time. So I've had it, it saved my bacon once because I ran out of battery out there. But Anyway, it's uh, good to have for emergency power. Uh, in addition to those, we've got, uh, it's got a power charging pad on the top so you can lay your phone on top with it on if your phone supports that and charge your phone. Uh, I, I don't really care anything about that. It's also got a charging jack. It's an eight millimeter charging jack. So you can hook it up to a car charger or solar. It's got uh, two AC outlets and these are pure sine wave so th that's pretty nice to have. I've used it a few times to charge my laptop remotely and you can turn these on and off independently. The DC outputs independent of the AC. So if you turn on the AC it's obviously if you don't have anything on there it's obviously going to run down the battery slowly but it still drains some because of the providing the AC outlet uh, with some current constantly. To charge it, you can charge it up here. Uh, it's got a wall jack that you plug in, kind of the same one that you use on desktop computers. Got three charging speeds. It's also got a cigarette lighter outlet if you've got something you want to power from that. Uh, that's my least favorite of the, all of them. It's also got a, a LED light here for emergency lighting. The thing's pretty nice. You can uh, use an app to control it. Let's turn it on. You'll see it power up. It's only at 33% right now. So let's go ahead and hook the app up to it. It's got Bluetooth and well, I've already got it connected. So if you've got mine, I've got mine called EB3A M5ZNO. Touch it and it connects to it, no problem. Shows the current status. From the app, you can turn on the DC right here. And you can see it powers on here as well. So we can turn it back off. Turn on the AC. I heard it click. 
And turn that back off. I load tested this a couple nights ago, just to save some time on my video here. And I hooked up with this uh, coaxial connector with two wires on it, and I hooked the alligator clips to my load tester that you've seen me use before. And I, my output, I actually got 17, a little over 17 amp hours or 232 watt hours of the 268 rated. So I, I didn't think that was uh, too bad. So basically, essentially 17 amp hour DC power source. So that ought to power my 705 a long time. Anyway, I, I don't know how much I'll use it. I'm concerned with this charging pad up here causing uh, some noise on the HF band. So we'll see how that goes on field day. I'll report back on it. This app's pretty nice. You can go into the settings update the firmware you can tell it when to shut down on the economy so the eco's on you can see it right here what that means is if it's not used for whatever time period it's here it'll turn itself off to save from running down the battery with its own self-discharging it's got an led light you can turn on and off here so this uh, i'll just put it on well it's got medium high and sos so that's medium. And let's turn that back off. You can also turn it on and off from the buttons on the front. Oh, it cycles through. Charging mode, it's on silent. I got it on silent, that's the slowest one. That charges at about 100 watts. And it's good, the best for the life of your battery. Turbo charges a little faster. And then there's a fast charge that they don't recommend doing except for an emergency. But And that will charge it in probably less than an hour. But it also causes a lot of heat on your batteries and it reduces the life of them. So I've got mine on silent. With the other modes, the fan runs. That's probably my biggest complaint on it is the fan's pretty noisy. As you can hear right here. It's... it's when it starts up, it sounds like a transformer buzz or something, and then the fan eventually wraps up. But it's it's not that bad. It's uh okay. It it is kind of bad. It's, it's uh, but it's not bad enough to not buy the unit for the price, in my opinion. By default, this thing will output 300 watts. There's a power lifting mode on here that you can see, and with that on, it'll actually output 600 watts, but it reduces the voltage so some some devices will handle that and some it won't so make sure that you're careful about that what you know what you hook up to the unit uh, on that mode because you don't want to damage it because of low voltage i haven't used that yet and i probably don't really intend to and again we got firmware update here and i i haven't seen any firmware updates yet since i've had it and the app will actually turn a unit off too. So after you do that, you can't connect back to it with the with this until you touch something, turn it back on. Uh, the two complaints I've got on it are the noise from the fan, and that this light goes off pretty quickly. The display turns off pretty quickly. I guess to save power. But it would be really nice if it was an adjustable setting to adjust the time. I understand it going off, but every time I try to video something, I have to run over here and touch the button to uh, turn it back on. But I guess that's when the app comes in handy as well. So we can hook this up with char 
to solar to charge it. I've got my 60 watt solar panel, my power film solar. Let's take it outside and give it a try, hook it up to the solar panel and see what we can get out of it. It has a charge controller built in, so I don't have to worry about that. Uh, I've got a charge controller for my solar panel, but it's not for LifePo batteries. So anyway, there's one built in here, like I mentioned. And I'm going to hook up my PowerFilm solar 60-watt uh, canvas solar panel and, and see what we can do with it. So let me go ahead and set this up. I don't have a cable to go straight into this 8mm. Let's go ahead and turn it on, although I don't think you really have to. But I do have the cigarette lighter adapter with these funny connectors on them. I haven't been able to find these. If you know where I can get them, let me know. But I'm going to hook this up to the solar panel. And then I've got the cigarette lighter adapter to charge this unit from the car. I'm going to hook it up into the female female socket on the uh, car adapter. So, But th that'll work. It's not the best hookup, but it'll work and it'll get me by until I can do something different. This plug will go straight, straight in here. I'm lucky. I'm going to try to get it as much in the sun as I can. Well, it's in the sun. Pretty much full sun. Although, it's not. There's some tiny little clouds up there. And you'll see it going up and down. But I've got 52 watts coming out of the solar panel into here. And this is definitely charging. Do the math. And that's how long it would take to charge it. But it's a pretty nice unit. I'm going to use it at field day and give it a try. See how it does. Again, I'll take my... 50 amp. It is cheap old man compliant and it's pretty handy. Like I said, it's, it's saved me a few times. Uh, if the power goes off, you can run your CPAP on it if you have one or a light or TV. I saw where one guy ran his uh, refrigerator. I imagine it's one of the newer refrigerators that so doesn't pull quite as much current, but ran his refrigerator all night on it, which I thought was uh, kind of amazing. So anyway, hope you found it useful pretty neat little device and uh you'll probably see more of it on the show at some point 73 you had me at bacon yeah <laughs> you caught that huh <laughs> yeah I did, I did have a question though um what's what's the power lifting function do it's supposed to it can deliver you up to um 300 watts but if you turn on the power lifting you can get 600 watts out of it, but it actually reduces the voltage. Oh. Um, so some stuff it's okay for. Some stuff it's not going to be so good for. So I, I, I don't turn it on. I, I don't. Guys act like it's not even there. I don't know, Emil. What do you think? Compliant? I'm thinking. Oh, um, well, Yeah. Well, I put. Is it, was it compliant? I used the uh, logo, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking about those before I bought my lithium iron phosphate battery. I was looking at those blue eddies, and I almost pulled the trigger on that instead of the battery. So I'll probably wind up with one of them. Yeah, yeah. It was two hundred two hundred nine dollars, and uh, I didn't think it was too bad. And like I said, I had another use for it, but I figure I can get some ham use out of it too. So they they really thought of everything on that on that box. Yeah, they could have left out the inductive charging on the top of it, though. Yeah, we uh, were just talking about that. You ought to, you ought to do that, and measure it, and see what's but the, the the QI charging pad. You mean on top? Yeah, yeah. What I, frequency? Uh, if you 
if you don't put anything on it, like I think it's smart enough to know, like it's not always energized. I don't think when you it's turn like, on the DC output, it it you can then lay your phone on there and it works. Right, so I but I don't think it actually does anything until until it it sees a device that needs charging. Um, uh, I could be wrong on that, but well, I think they're intelligent enough that they don't really do anything unless it sees a device on it. Yeah. Um, That'd be interesting to to, uh, to check that out, though. Yeah, Tom's asking, uh, WA2IVD's asking any idea how much it reduces the voltage. And I guess I should have measured that. I'll, I'll have to do some more tests with it and report back on that later. Yeah, that's kind of curious to me. You can double the wattage, but it decreases the voltage. That's what so it says. It increases the current. It would have to if it's going to double the wattage. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. Wow. That's that's some kind of strange magic there. <laughs> but the thing should be handy next weekend for field day. <laughs> oh, we got got two notes, not even harmonically yeah. related. Oh, there, wow. that was a C and a D. Oh, Emil, okay. Emil, you you do know that every time you ring a bell, an angel gets his wings, right? Yeah. In fact, I think Joe is about to fly off in the uh, chat room. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's taking a swig of Kentucky every time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I just myself here happen to have an email tonight. A real email. A real email. This came from an actual viewer. It's from Matt, KD8GWK. Now, this this is power-related, Tommy, so this is kind of maybe up your alley here. He said that he saw a video of a person that took 32 CDs and DVDs and drilled two holes one-eighth inch apart. Then he cut 32 pieces of .65-millimeter copper wire, 46 inches long, and wrapped all of the CDs and DVDs. Then he set them on a frame and connected the copper ends in parallel, leaving two wires free to connect to a wire that will be connected to a battery or something. Then he mixed up some resin and poured over the CDs and DVDs, let it set for 12 hours. Then he took a voltmeter to show that it would produce 220 volts. And uh, now Matt's question is, will this run an HF radio for field day? And if so, how long will it keep the radio battery going? Granted, we have decent sunny weather. And that one slipped right past Emil right there. Um, when I said the magic words. But uh, I had to go look. Uh, I mean, well, first I answered him before I even looked, and I said, I haven't heard of anyone making solar panels from optical disc. Sounds to me like a hoax to get some views or something. Uh, my $100 solar panel can't put out anywhere near 220 volts. So, no, I don't think you can make solar panels out of CDs and DVDs. This is a picture of, uh, I believe this is the one he was talking about. Turns out when I did a search, there was a heap of folks doing 
videos of this on YouTube and getting a bunch of views, but it's uh, snake oil. They, you know? they look like uh, thermocouples more so than a solar panel. Well, it's uh, CDs and DVDs with holes drilled in them and wires wrapped around them. Uh, <laughs> do the math. I, I don't see it <laughs> yeah. putting out 220 volts. I don't see it putting out anything. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, uh, I wrote him back, you know, and told him what I said there. He he agreed, yeah, he didn't really think it would work either. But I um, appreciate you sending that, Matt, because... Uh, and he found that on, I missed a little bit of that. He missed the, he found that on a video? Uh, yeah, if you do a search on YouTube, three or four or five different videos will come up with people doing that. And, um, uh, you know, not necessarily, I don't know that everything you see on YouTube you want to believe. Oh, no. no. As a matter of fact, it would be like this tube that I have right here. Now, this. This shirt came from uh, VE3MIC, but it's not one off the VE3MIC um, Mr. and Mrs. Press. This way around, this side. Yes. Not unlike that. Yeah. This one was a, a commercial purchase, I think, that you did here. That's right, yeah. And this is of a, a 4CX 15,000A tube, and that's what my FM transmitters use. Uh, well, two of them do. One of them's 11-kilowatt transmitter. The other one's 25 kilowatts. Uh, the other FM transmitter is 35 kilowatts, but it uses a YC-130, which is the same tube physically on the outside with different guts. But the thing that throws it off here, and you might would see this on a YouTube video, if you look at the bottom here, there's pins coming out. Or the bottom of the tube. Mm -hmm. There are no pins coming out the bottom of a 4CX15000A. It's a ceramic tube, and there's there's metal rings around it that are the contacts. So you're saying you can't believe everything on a t-shirt either? I'm saying you can't believe everything <laughs> on a t-shirt either. What in the heck is going on these yep. days? Between t-shirts and YouTube. Your whole you, life is a farce. It is, pretty much. So, so what you're saying is that four CX fifteen thousand A actually has slip rings rather than pins. Yes. Really? Wow. Oh, you didn't design this. I mean, you this was a design you found, right? Or did you design uh, it? Correct. Yeah. yeah. You, you insert insert the blank. Actually, I could have put your call sign. There yeah, I was going to say well, Ted Randall and Ted Randall and his family. You probably noticed. At Hamvention this year, they all had similar shirts to this that had their call signs on them. Yeah, I, I did notice that. But you know what? I, I missed Ted. Every time I went by his booth, he wasn't there for some reason. I never saw him in the booth, but I saw him outside a couple of different times. But every time okay. I went by, yeah, he he was out roaming around. So we really didn't get to uh, chat a whole lot. Although he did try to uh, run me down in his hoverbout. Or he threatened to anyway, but uh, after I stood there and uh, yelled, no! Watch out! No! <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for tonight's show. That's uh, everything we brought to the table in preparation for next weekend's big event that we're all looking forward to. 
that for some reason we won't be able to mention at the moment. But, hey, we could. I know we'll be talking all about it next month. And email will have to leave the bell at home. Wait a minute. The bell is at home. Yeah, okay. That won't really work out with it, will it? Speaking of stuff on the air, tell us about the Logic Net. Well, it's kind of a spinoff of the uh, Amateur Logic Soundcheck Net. We uh, kind of put that one to bed after the COVID pandemic ended, and uh, Tom was nice enough to get this one started. Logic Net, it's got a similar format, not exactly, but uh, it's a lot of fun. It happens the Tuesday night after the Amateur Logic live stream which will be this coming Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Central Time or 0100 UTC. And looks like we got pretty much all the old connections that we had on the soundcheck net. Yeah, that's going to be Tuesday, June the 20th of 2023. June the, that's June the 20th for you and me. Yep. That's, that's, uh, Tom says it's him and Marty this time. Okay. All right. 18. Look on the air during... Next weekend's event for W5AXC, Alpha X-Ray Charlie. Think they'll be able to pick that one out? I hope so. Alpha X-Ray Charlie, maybe. Whiskey 5, Alpha X-Ray Charlie. Yeah. That kind of rolls off the tongue. Doesn't it? Yeah. Is that hot in his mouth? No, it's a blanket. This is the female. No, this is uh, Anna. Okay. So. blanket. The field day will be operating as W5AXC. Ha! Ha ha ha! You thought you got me with the dog. <laughs> that was not a chihuahua. <laughs> that was no, that's the biggest chihuahua yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You know, you might want a, a bucket head hat to wear for field day. Where could you find such things as that, Emil? At shop.spreadshirt.com slash amateurlogic. You can find all the bucket hats you want. And remember, safety first for field day because you got to keep those expensive thoughts out of your head. And, and that bucket hat's really good at keeping he, that expensive thought out of your head. It gets pretty hot on field day, too. So it also keeps the rays from baking your uh, mm-hmm. noodle up there. Yep. And I really hate that I didn't get footage of it because I didn't really see it in action. I did see it sitting on the dashboard, though. Mike brought the cranial cooler with him to Hamvention this oh, year. Oh, did you? Awesome. He did. I, you wear I it? actually wore it, uh, and actually, um, Joe Eisenberg, uh, uh, what is it, K0NEB? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, he saw me wearing the uh, Amateur Logic cranial cooler. Seven three, everyone. Hope to catch you some. Some of you on the air. Seven three. Seven three. Seven
Is that Putin up there poking Mike in the ear? No, that's a dude from Back to the Future. Oh. The teacher. You're a slacker, yeah. McFly. Mr. Strickland. So I got an email from my good friends at the ARRL. Dear Thomas, N5ZNO, that's what my friends call me. Your license will be expiring on 9-7 of 2023. As soon as this weather alert goes off. 